Welcome to the Vetbolt Business and Leadership Series with veterinary practice owner and business coach, Dr. Shibli Mustafa. In this series, we'll explore ways to make veterinary practice sustainable and profitable. We talk COVID government bailouts, financial strategies and HR do's and don'ts in another business and leadership episode with Paolo Lencioni, vet turned accountant and veterinary financial management guru. Paolo's company, APL Accountants, helps veterinarians manage every aspect of, re- of their business through careful financial monitoring and tailor-made advice. So he has his finger on the pulse of veterinary business and has a wealth of knowledge to share with us. He gives us his insights into how to plan and react to save your practice during these tricky times. And if you need some guidance for your business, now or at any time, it's well worth getting in touch with these guys. Some of the information relating to government financial support is specific to Australia, but a lot of the thinking and strategies discussed in this episode are universal. So there's definitely still value here for our non-Australian listeners. Now, let's jump straight in. Paolo Lencioni, welcome to the Vetfeld. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, thanks for having me. Always happy to do these things. You must be inundated with questions about government handouts and HR issues and, 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 and during this time. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think most accounting firms are, but being, we're quite lucky because we just deal with vets. So we can actually work out averages and play scenarios in our business, exactly how it's going to play out for the vet industry. Um, so for us, it's been a busy week, but I think we've got some really nice solutions and some sort of very clear information that we've been pushing through to our clients and now hopefully with this podcast you can get it through to the wider veterinary audience because we want to see all that stay in business right that's what we're passionate about so <laughs> that's what we want to see happen here absolutely well, we look forward to look forward to listening to those solutions um do you want to you want to start shibli do you want to kick off with a few few questions yeah well i guess um the the big thing on on most um that practice owners' minds are, you know, how are we going to navigate through the storm? And is there a rough sort of prediction? I know I know you're not a fortune teller, um, Paolo, but you're pretty good with, with all your numbers. And I know you've been collecting a lot of data um, from a lot of veterinary practices over the years to follow trends and things like that. Could you give us maybe a bit of an, an overview of what you expect might happen over the next couple of months? Yeah, sure. So, so I mean, obviously, that's the big question. How bad is it going to get? So what we've done to, um, to sort of um, estimate or look what's going on here is we run software in veterinary practices that actually grabs data every day. So we can actually pull KPIs and numbers out of veterinary practices, quite a lot of veterinary practices in Australia every day. Um, so what we did as soon as this crisis started is we started monitoring 200 full-time vet equivalents. So basically 200 full-time vets uh, evenly spread across Australia and then every week monitoring their sales. And three weeks ago, um, sales in veterinary practices actually went up across those 200 full-time vets. Two weeks ago, they still went up. And last week, sales went up, but primary consults came down again, which was like a prelude to what, um, what we would think would be the downturn. But initially, we could see that, um, that um, pet owners seem to be hoarding veterinary services too. And in fact, a lot of our clients' practices over the last two or three weeks have been very, very busy. Now, it's not to say that we're not going to have a crisis. I think there is going to be a shutdown. It is going to affect veterinary practices. I think numbers are going to go down. Um, but we're sort of looking at what's happening in Europe, keeping in touch with colleagues in Europe, um, it's got pretty bad in Europe, like in Spain, practices are down by 50%. 
but currently our feeling is um, the way things are going currently, we, we're expecting a 20 to 30% drop in revenue for veterinary practices. I don't think it will be much more than that um, on the numbers we currently see. 20 to 30%. So let's talk about the government handouts in Australia. So there's a few schemes. I hear 30% and bells start ringing. <laughs> Uh, can you talk us through the the help that is coming from the government for for well for small businesses in general, please? Okay, sure. So so first of all, um, so um, about fourteen days ago, the first bailout that the government offered was effectively refunding all your PAYG withholding for your employees um, up to a certain cap. Um, the re le legislation, if you read it, was actually quite confusing for business owners because it comes in different increments. You get a lump sum initially, then whether you have a quarterly bass or a monthly bass, it kind of varies. So to make it easy for veterinary practices, we've kind of averaged it out on what you get back per week um, on the average mix of veterinary staff. We can do that because most veterinary practices where we run their payroll, we analyze that their staff mix is pretty much the same in terms of how much the different people earn in wages and what they pay, pay YG withholding. So the initial bailout would have effectively amounted to, if you were a one full-time vet equivalent practice or a practice that turns over between 400 and $500,000 a year, um, you would have got $760 a week. And if you were a practice that turned over around $2 million, so roughly a four and a half, four, four to four and a half full-time bed equivalent practice, you would have got $3,800 a week. Um, that actually doesn't amount to very much money, all right? Like when we play those scenarios in our heads and we looked at practices and like we did what if scenarios where some of our clients' practices would drop 10, 15, 20%, we could see that our, our clients would still run into some kind of cash flow difficulty when they hit that 20% barrier. The bailout wasn't really enough. Um, now, it never goes to more than 3,800 a week. If your practice is more than $2 million turnover, roughly, um, it's capped at that amount. Like, you won't get more than $3,800 a week. So, for even bigger practices, they weren't going to get a more significant bailout at all. So, that was that did concern us because certainly for those practices where the, um, you know, the revenue drop would be reasonably significant, it wouldn't get them out of, out of trouble. Then, a few days ago, the government... Uh, released the job keepers and that was the one that made us breathe a sigh of relief because um, that is a significant bailout but it only kicks in when your practice's revenue drops by 30 percent okay but the bailout is significant um, for every two weeks you will get $1,500 for every employee that's on your payroll. So $750 per week for every employee that's in your payroll. When we averaged that across uh, a number of our clients' books because we have access to their payroll and see what the effect would be, in most veterinary practices, that would have amounted to about 75% of their wages covered. Um, so you can see straight away that that is going to have a huge, huge impact on um, on the sort of uh, on on whether or not that practice is going to go broke or not, um, the the question really is now. Um, so so we know that when practices really get to that pinch point where literally they cannot keep their doors open, this will kick in and it will save them. Um, but obviously, there's going to be some questions there as to like how is this thirty percent calculated, and um, and you know um, you know what do we do if we're not a thirty you know if we sit there at fifteen percent drop twenty percent drop in revenue, um, so um, so those are kind of the things which we have to catch because um, based on our current look, feeling for the veterinary industry, it might on the whole might not drop drop down to the thirty percent. So it'll only be a handful of practices that go below thirty percent loss of revenue, and the other people will be called like be in this area we're calling the dead zone where they kind of suffering some cash flow strife, but um, they're not quite bad enough to, uh, to get that particular handout. 
Um, so, um, so to that really, um, so, so first of all, um, I guess the question is, how is the government going to calculate the, the, um, 20, the 30% drop in revenue? And the legislation there currently isn't very, very clear. Um, what they did say is it would have to be a reasonable amount of time. So, and what the example they gave on their documentation was 30 days. So it would have to be 30 days. And it would have to be calculated uh, compared to the same 30 days in the prior year. So like for like seasons. Um, so that's what the, the commissioner said. Um, so um, so that's, that, that's sort of what we're doing now with our clients. We're actually monitoring um, revenue from their point of sale out of their practice management software every week and every two weeks. Because if you're relying on your bookkeeping uh, to be done on time, your bookkeeping is always slower. It lags behind by two weeks, a month sometimes. So you're not going to access that quickly enough. You wait for your bookkeeper to complete it. You might actually, you know, be a bit slow in getting that, um, getting that, uh, applying for that particular bailout. So then we have other problems that come with us because some of our clients have got practices that have grown by 20%. Like if we look at April last year and April this year, they've grown by more than 20%, right? So for them to actually access that bailout, they'd have to drop by 50%. Well, yeah, 50%. Um, so you can see that would be a massive drop. Um, can I interrupt you? So, so just, to, just to be clear, so that's the 30% drop is drop in total, total revenue. revenue. Yeah. So, not, not, so yeah. not profit. So, so for somebody who's grown twenty percent, they probably grew twenty percent in wages as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you've you've up you've you've increased your your team, you've increased your staff to deal with that increased workload, and now suddenly to access that um, that bailout because they're comparing each the prior year's um, numbers, you're going to suffer. So they did say there though you can apply for the bailout, and the commissioner will exercise their discretion. Um, so what we're going to do for our clients who are in that scenario, we are actually going to say it's actually not not um, not relevant to compare like prior year, that same season prior year. We can prove that their revenue was similar across the period of the year. And hopefully if they apply, um, they will be allowed to bail out if they actually drop, you know, 30% compared to maybe two or three months ago. Um, because obviously those practices will suffer a lot. A 50% drop in revenue is hard to survive uh, in, in a business. Uh, so that's the that's kind of the the one issue we've uh, we've identified there is with those sort of high growth practices. If you are a high growth practice, experience a lot of growth, um, there is some risk. You know, <clears throat> you're now exposed to some risk in that you might not be able to access that bailout. Whereas you know the practice down the road who hasn't grown at all might be able to access that bailout more easily. Than you. Uh, another question I saw on the on the online forums was somebody saying, well, "What about a new business?" So I've got a new practice that's ten months old um still in the growing phase and then you take a massive hit in your turnover compared to last month but there's no nothing to compare to for last year are they just out, out there running or well again that's exactly the, the problem again because you look it's, a, it's the same scenario any startup practices in a high growth phase of business they grow very very quickly and again you i would still apply and uh, see if the commissioner can exercise their discretion. The other point, though, with a practice that's got a very, very low number of staff, so if you've got under, I think, okay, I'm not an HR lawyer, but I believe it's under 15 staff, and they've been employed for less than 12 months, you actually can uh, uh, terminate your staff without any implications at all. Um, so the upside of that particular practice is it's unfortunate for the team working there, but they can actually stand their team down uh, with no implications uh, whatsoever. So they would have that advantage. Well, what strategies do you hear the practices that you're advising? What strategies do you hear that they're actually rolling out to try to conserve or retain staff? Because for us, um, like no one, no business owner wants to let, let staff go, especially ones that have been with you for a while that you've then invested over 
a year, six months, however long, two years to try to actually level them up and skill them up. Um, I don't know. Well, what kind of strategy have you come across? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so well, that's why we have to have other strategies in place. So first of all, um, you know, you if you're likely to fall into that dead zone where your practice has dropped in revenue but not gone down to um, to thirty percent drop in revenue, mm. um, that's where you're exposed to this kind of risk. If you do actually drop below thirty percent and you weren't a growing practice, you'll actually be fine. Everyone's happy. In fact, there will be staff members who will be paid more than what they were before on the bailout. Okay, so you pretty much be able to keep all your team, which is fantastic. Um, but now. For for those practices that are in that dead zone, um, what are we going to do? And these are the strategies we've employed. Um, first and foremost, I would approach all my lenders, anyone who you're borrowing money from, and ask them to pause your loans. In fact, most of the veterinary lenders, what we're hearing now, are actually allowing people to pause their loans, which is fantastic. So all that debt is, is it doesn't have to be paid off. And in fact, they're not even saying, um, in some of the contracts that we've seen come back to our clients, they're not even saying, oh, then you'll have to make up the payments in the subsequent months when you start paying again in six months. They're just saying you can pause the loan and we'll just extend the length of the loan by six months at the termination stage. So it actually doesn't give you any cash flow problems at all. So that's the first thing I would do. Um, if veterinary practices occupy their own property, which a lot of veterinary practices do, they usually are then paying rent to a property trust uh, and the rent that they're paying to that property trust that they also own is just to cover the loans on that property. So don't forget if you're pausing loans to pause the loans on your property also, which then eliminates your rent, right? Which is normally the third biggest expense uh, in any veterinary practice. Um, so that's really, really important uh, to pause your loans. The other thing you can do is stop paying anything to the tax office. Um, the tax office has been quite clear that they are going to allow deferrals and going to be very, very lenient with payment plans. Um, so if you've got a BAS payment due, if you've got a tax installment due, um, just don't pay it. You just contact the tax office and say, um, can we defer these payments? So what we're doing, even with clients that we think are going to be fine, we're getting, I had a question today on email, um, their BAS is due and we're saying lodge your BAS, that's fine. You can lodge it with the ATO so that they can keep track of your PAYG withholding so you can access that first bailout. But then you just contact them and say, hey, can I pay at a later date? And the tax office is allowing a lot of people to do that. So you can sort of build up a bit of a war chest. You will have to pay that money back, but, um, but um, you know, you can defer that payment. Um, so that's the other thing you can do. And the next very, very important thing, and I think this is going to be one of the critical issues around um, these practices in this, um, in this sort of you know, dead zone here, is um, you've got to sit your team down and you've got to have the conversation. Because under fair work uh, regulations, like fair work is like, hey, it's business as usual. It's not, right? <laughs> but under fair work regulations, so you can only, if, if you've got a permanent employee and they're working 38 hours a week, it's all or nothing. It's like you either employ them for 38 hours a week or you stand them down and you pay them at redundancy. However, there is a clause there that if the employee agrees, and it must be the employee that agrees, um, if they agree to have their hours varied, then you can actually institute a temporary variation of hours. So this is really, really critical. If you sit your team down and have that discussion about, you know, keeping their jobs, you explain to them, you know, that the bailout is only going to kick in if we lose 30% of revenue. But if everyone is prepared to flex their hours a little bit, everyone's going to get to keep their jobs. If business goes really, really bad, we don't want to let anyone go. Hopefully we'll get the job keepers um, bailout kicking in and then everyone will be back, be back to like full wages for people. So um, I think in most veterinary teams, they'll agree to that. Um, the issue we had around that with clients contact, con contacting us in was if you have that conversation with your team and they agree you need some kind of a signed contract, 
Um, so then we had everyone running off to lawyers and employee sure and stuff um, and their lines are busy and things. And then one of our clients just had a, a light bulb moment and said, hey, I'm going to contact Fair Work. This was just uh, yesterday. This was just yesterday. So she contacted Fair Work directly and they said, hey, yeah, sure. We'll just send you a Microsoft Word document with a contract. Uh, um, so we've put it on our Facebook page, APL Accounts, our public Facebook page, and, uh, and anyone can just download it from there. So there you've got your like, contact fair work center to this client of ours. So, uh, you know, they're obviously happy with it. It's very simple. It's two pages, just saying the number of hours that you want to vary by, and they just sign it. Um, so um, we're hoping you, uh, we're thinking most veterinary teams, or at least 80% of veterinary teams will be happy with flexible, uh, flexing their hours over this crisis. Um, if your team's not happy with flexing hours or a significant component of your team isn't happy with flexing hours, then you're going to have to make the, the corporate sort of airline style decision of, okay, my casuals are going to have to go uh, first. Anyone who's been working for less than 12 months is going to have to go next. And then you have to sadly start cutting your team back. Um, but the choice then, the onus has really been put on your team as to how they handle that, because that is the, the conversation you have with them. Like, we can save all your jobs, or if you people, you know, if you don't agree to this, then, um, you know, someone's going to have to lose their job because we can't afford it. Um, and that certainly is going to be in practices that are sort of, you know, hitting that 20% loss in revenue. The, so the, the JobKeeper allowance that you actually have to apply for, the first one happens automatically as you as you when you reply, um, give your tax return in, but this one you have to apply for. And, and so you said before, it's at least a 30 day period, they're saying, and you've got to be monitoring your turnover um, or your revenue and, and, and saying, okay, well, it's dropping. Uh, how, how, and then who do you contact? Is it the ATO or how do you, how do you access it? So, so there is, and again, on our Facebook page, we've put the link to the uh, to where you fill in. So basically, you, you at the moment, you fill in an expression of interest. How weird is that? Okay. And you just go online and you put in your business name, uh, your, your ABN and mobile number to contact. And, um, and then um, when required or whatever, they'll send you back more information. So like, we actually not ex expecting to drop that much in business, but we, we, we filled in an application yesterday at APL Accounts <laughs> just to see what happens. Um, so basically, um, I would just get that application in. But also, if you don't want to do it straight away, that's why we're monitoring our practices weekly and by we, uh, you know, every two weeks. Because as soon as we start detecting a bunch of practices dropping by 10% or so, you may as well start filling those, uh, filling those things in because um, you, know, you want to get in early if you can. Um, no doubt a lot of the hospitality and restaurant industry is already filling in all those applications and we don't know when the government's going to run out of money um, so I would rather be in there early rather than late um, the other thing that's not clear is if you drop experience a 30% drop in revenue this month but then this the next month it goes up again to maybe you know only having dropped 20% are they going to carry on paying for subsequent months and the, um, the documents that they released said um, they, they will review, if you, once you've applied and you've got that, they're going to review your revenue every month. So to me, that says that if your revenue then goes up again after that initial month, they're going to stop paying it. Um, that's my guess. I mean, that's how I would play it if I was them. But um, there's not absolute clarity on this. There will be more clarity. They've had to release this legislation really, really quickly. So you can't blame it for being a little bit scrappy. Um, and there will be stuff that, uh, that, that comes in that uh, might catch some people off guard. Paolo, what about locums? Like, are they, because they're private business, like they're one-man businesses and stuff, is there anything there for them or how are they, is there any concerns for them, I suppose? Like, 
There is concerns for uh, for any employee and any any. I mean, in this kind of a crisis, there's a concerns for a business owner and for all your employees. Um, now, in the situation with locums, uh, I'm just trying to work it out. I mean, the legislation is covering sole traders that have had a uh, significant drop in revenue. So it's very, very possible. Actually, I haven't thought of it in the context of locums, but it is very possible that this could um, could 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 help them. It depends how they pay themselves, though, because they're not really employing people. There's not really a payroll being run. But if worst case, worst comes to worst, then they just go to Centrelink. Um, and even the Centrelink payouts, they've doubled the Centrelink uh, payout for job seekers. Um, and even, I think we worked out on a job seekers now, I think it works out to close to 30,000 a year if you're on job seekers at Centrelink. Um, so, you know, if you've got, um, like, if, you, if you're a locum and you've got um, a mortgage to pay, for example, um, it's very, very possible now that the um, government is going to also put um, private loans for private house, houses on hold. So it's very, very possible that you'll be able to defer your loans on your mortgages and things. It looks like they're going to put pressure on landlords if you're renting. Uh, to uh, to um, uh, They're going to have some kind of non-eviction thing putting out, put out. Um, so I don't think you're going to lose your house and stuff like that. But certainly I, I would say where locums have been charging top dollar and there's been so much work for locums in the past few years, that's going to dry up very, very quickly. So there's those two safety nets uh, for, for locums. Um, I don't know if they'll get the job keepers if they're not really paying themselves anything through payroll, but then they'll have to go to a to Centrelink. So, so if somebody wants more information on, on any of these things, like the Centrelink payments or that, again, what, where do they go to? Where's your, where's your so, first point of call? Well, Centrelink payments are, are the first port of call is Centrelink because they deal with everything on a case-by-case -case basis. So you can never, and you can't even tell one of your, your team members, oh, I think Centrelink will definitely pay you if I stand you down because you don't know. Um, they have to go to Centrelink, uh, put their case forward, and then Centrelink does everyone on a case-by-case -case basis. So that's, that's a difficulty with Centrelink. There is no real kind of hard and fast uh, rules for, for that. And, and then what about the deferment of, of payments of mortgages and all of that? Where, where do you start kicking rocks to, to find out about that if it, if it comes to it? We're just reading all the every single news article that gets released by all the newspapers and everything that the ATO releases. So we, um, so as soon as there's some rumbling in Parliament about those sort of things, that we just know there was uh, there was stuff going on in Parliament around that sort of stuff. Um, and uh, it looks feasible that it's going to happen uh, to me because certainly with uh, with households, the, the government is going to be very very concerned um, about people um, losing. Like they're going to be very concerned about people losing the place they live. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised. It doesn't sound unreasonable that they're going to going to start implementing that sort of stuff. Um, so we also like as we we invest in some commercial property. So we know with our tenants, um, like we actually we as landlords stopped their um, uh, their rent uh, more almost three weeks ago now because we preempted this. Um, and like the last thing I want as a landlord is my tenants to to leave now and then have an empty commercial premises that I have to try and occupy in what might be a recession to follow. So like like it's it's not it's not rocket science how that's going to play out. So I think it, it's going to be very very feasible that that's going to happen. Um, the biggest payer is going to is going to be the government. Uh, I think uh, I think they've made a huge effort to make sure that there's still money for everyone. Um, but my main concern is there's a lot of money being paid out by the government. Yeah. Yeah, Paolo, can you comment at all on the um, the government-backed loans that they had of up to 250k for small businesses? Yeah, they're kind of tripping up over each other because first it, uh, loans were uh, were released by state government and then federal government started talking about loans too. So there was talking uh, 
from Queensland State where they were going to do loans. I think it was of up to, I stand corrected now, was it up to $250,000, which were going to be interest-free, uh, yeah, which were going to be interest-free for the first 12 months and then at a lower interest going forwards. Um, and again, like um, if you have, um, there was again, it was like a apply now kind of website. Um, and, um, and like if you are a practice who's going to be concerned about that, like you can certainly apply for one of those loans. Like there's nothing wrong with taking an interest-free loan for 12 months. Um, if you don't need the money and you don't spend it, that's fine. You can just pay it back. Uh, but um, if you are worried that you're going to go into cash flow deficits, um, then you can certainly take one of those loans that the government offers. Bearing in mind that if you do use it though, and you do run into very, very uh, you know, harsh times and you spend it all, you're still going to have to pay it back at the end. Um, so you know, in some cases, if you're really falling back on debt to save you in a cash flow problem, you might actually be better off um, um, stopping or pausing your business. Um, so, um, so that's, you know, we don't think that's going to happen for vets, but if you starting have to dig that deep and have to borrow money to maintain what would effectively be, you know, 10 to $20,000 cash flow deficit a month, you, even on a loan, you're not going to survive very long. And then you're still going to have all these repayments to make, uh, at the other side of this. So we are a little bit nervous about people borrowing uh, huge amounts of money, um, to bail themselves out of this when in fact, the better decision at that point might've been to, to, to not, to stop trading. With the, with the decision to stop trading, Paolo, is that because we've been classified as an essential service, if, if I as a business owner decide to stop trading without, a, without the government telling me to stop trading, am I, am I still going to have to pay wages or how does that uh, work? Fair work. It's all or nothing. Either you pay them their full wage or you make everyone redundant, which means you'll have redundancy payments. Redund but like, yeah, with some of our, again, if you're a business that has under 15 employees, then your redundancy payments are very, very limited. Um, so you might still be in a better uh, situation standing your team down and paying virtually no redundancies and just stop trading for that period of time. So it's not the scenario we want to see. It's certainly not the scenario we want to encourage, but I also don't want to see any business owners buried under a mountain of debt that they cannot get themselves out of at the end of this and then have to declare insolvency. So, um, you know, it might be, it might be the smarter move um, if it gets that bad. I was just gonna. I was just gonna ask about preparing our team because obviously there's a lot of information that people are being fed, and people, are, a lot of our team members are hearing about the job seekers, you know, fifteen hundred dollars, etc., um, and kind of thinking that business owners are, are doing okay right now, and um, you know, why all the fuss about revenue going down and whatever? Like you guys will be fine. You're going to get a payout anyway. Um, how do, do you have any advice for us, or maybe you can talk about how your your clinics that you're dealing with, Paolo, are helping to transition their team and have those conversations? Because I imagine we need to start now having these questions about what that future may look like and when that thirty percent incentive, you know, the, the drop may kick in. Uh, but what do we do in the meantime? Yeah, well, that's exactly that. And exactly how different managers have put it across to their teams, I don't know. We do know that people have had uh, teams that are receptive to this and teams that are less receptive to this. Um, so from my perspective, I mean, the way I would do it is I think, I think um, you know, what your employees want is they want clarity. Um, and I would certainly say, okay, there is a big government bailout, but it's only going to kick in when we've lost 30% of our business. And because our business, the average veterinary business only runs at about, you know, a 10 to 15% net profit margin, you know, if our business drops by 15%, uh, anything beyond that, we start losing heaps and heaps of money. And the government only saves us when we come in at 30%. 
Um, so my strategy with you guys would be to, um, if we go to, you know, uh, you know, if we stay cash flow positive, I don't care. So in other words, if our business drops by 10 or 15%, like we'll be fine. It's fine. stuff. business as usual. Um, you know, I won't take much of a wage, but I can wear that for, you know, I can wear that for six months. That's not a problem. If we drop below that, um, then we're going to start losing money and we can't exist sustainably as a business for any prolonged period of time like that. Well, we'd have to at some point declare insolvency if that, can, uh, that occurred. So at that point in time, um, I'm going to ask you guys to flex your hours and you are going to, uh, you know, it's up to you. The onus is really on you guys. Under Fair Work, I can't really tell you, you know, hey, Joe, you working 38 hours a week, I'm going to cut you down to 20 hours a week and not pay you for the other 18 hours. I'm not allowed to do that. Um, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to get a contract from Fair Work that they've sent to us uh, and uh, I'm going to ask you guys to please agree to this. Uh, and it's up to you guys. You guys can choose to agree. You can choose not to agree. You can choose to stay at home for half the day and not work and me pay your full wage. But understand if that happens, I'm going to have to make the tough decision that I can't keep all of you um, because I'm relying on all of you to agree to a small reduction of hours. If that can't happen, uh, you know, to be able for, to keep the rest of you gainfully employed when we come out the other side, I'm going to have to ask some of you to leave because we physically will not be able to afford it. Um, and that's what's going to happen when we fall between this 15 to 30%. And once we hit to the minus 30% drop in revenue, then the government uh, bailout kicks in and everyone will be gainfully employed again. So it's not going to last forever. Um, it's going to be for a short period of time. Hopefully we have a government bailout that will save us in the worst case scenario. But if we caught there in no man's land, I'm going to ask you guys for a little bit of help. That's kind of how I would put it. Um, and then, you know, different teams will react differently. We've had people who just want to stand down. Right? They don't want to be out there when there's coronavirus. And they're saying, please stand us down, you know, leave without pay. <laughs> don't want to be here anymore. Um, and, um, and that's fine. Like, you know, there's people who've maybe got a spouse that's a high risk, um, a high risk individual. They might be high risk individuals themselves, you know, have had chemotherapy or some immunological disorder. Um, so they just don't want to be out there. And that's absolutely fine. They can stand out, leave without pay. Um, if they say that, that saves someone else's job and you say, that's fine. And I'll reemploy you when this is over. You know, it's all, all it is, is prolonged leave without pay. It doesn't mean I'll fire you. You're still going to be back. Um, so, um, so I think it's, I don't think it's such a hard discussion to have, uh, to have with team members. Um, you know, it's, you know, you, but you are relying on them. I mean, it's their decision and they have the power to decide what happens in that. And then if you have to let people go after that, it's not really um, a choice you've made. It's a choice they've made as a team. Yeah, it's 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 very much an all for one, one for all, isn't it? It's yeah. like, hey, it's it's no longer my decision, it's the team. Turn around and look at each other and you know, decide whether you as a team are going to be in it all together and all take a reduction or whether you're willing to sacrifice some of your teammates basically, almost. Basically, uh, yeah. Which is it's a yucky it's a yucky position for them to have to be in and it's a yucky position for you as a business owner to have to be in as well. But you know, we have to like start to work out how to reduce expenses. And uh, that's, yeah, it's the only way. Yeah, I mean, you can immediately picture a small business. Even it's very, very easy in a scenario like this to start running in a cash flow deficit of about $10,000 a month. Now, you might be have heaps and heaps of savings backing you for some reason. But you can see after six months, who can just, like, which small business owner can really just afford a $60,000 uh, straight out of their bank accounts? Um, just like that. And not many people can afford that. Um, you know, and that's for a smaller practice. If you're looking at a 67 vet practice, you know, some of them, when we did the modeling uh, without the government bailout would be losing like, you know, $40,000, $50,000 a month. <laughs> you can't survive that. Um, so without your team's assistance and their, um, you know, willingness to flex their hours, you can't survive that.
Um, so, um, so you do need that. That is, to me, critical in 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 practices surviving uh, surviving this kind of thing. Fortunately, veterinary teams are actually really nice people, and uh, you know you might have in other industries where the workforce is a lot more difficult to handle, but on the whole, veterinary teams are pretty pretty easy to handle in this kind of scenario. So. Mm. Yeah, we um we rolled out well, two weeks ago. We had a discussion. I right? had a discussion with our team. We have about maybe about 100 staff between our two hospitals in Brisbane and essentially changing rosters in, in, in one way to actually isolate teams to try to remain open in case one of our teams got ill. Um, and that resulted in actually numerous people actually um, having their hours reduced purely by the way the rosters had to be structured to try to reduce the risk of one COVID person um, positive actually closing down the whole entire hospital. And they actually took it quite well. Um, and it took a while. They went through stages of grief. Some actually, you know, broke down and cried immediately after the call, but then had discussions and worked through the process and understood in the end. But what happens? Cuba's got a great question here. And it was, it was like, what happens if, if um, a, a team member gets positive and you have to shut down for two weeks because everyone gets isolated? Like, what, what, can, you, what, what can you do there? Well, I guess that's where that 30% that drop in revenue is going to save you, right? Because if you have two weeks of absolutely no business in a month, um, then that month is most certainly going to show a 30% drop in revenue. And then by the next month, you're hoping that um, you'll get that job keeper's allowance and that'll pull you out of uh, pull you out of trouble. It actually wasn't that badly thought out. Initially, I thought, oh, it's quite unfair, you know, because some businesses are going to get it, some businesses aren't. But I don't think it's designed to be fair. I think it's designed to keep businesses operating. Um, and when you look at it from that perspective, um, in exactly that where your business has to shut down for two weeks that job keepers is going to save your business um, and it's going to keep all your team uh, employed um, whereas if you didn't have it you'd be you'd be you'd be dead in the water so if you are forced to shut down because of a positive infection are you still paying wages for those two weeks um actually no no actually you're correct um if you have a full stand down so if you if if the only time you pay wages is if the employer, as you as employer, decide to stand down a team member, then you pay wages. If the decision is made by someone else, that's kind of my algorithm in my head that kind of works, then you don't have to pay wages. So I, actually, you're correct. If there is a forced shutdown of your business um, because of a positive case, um, then um, then you um, you don't have to pay wages, to my understanding. You might, they might opt to, the employees can actually opt, I think, to use up their leave initially. Um, so you will still be paying leave. Uh, but you're actually reducing liability, but it's still a cash flow problem. Um, but um, but you don't have to carry on paying uh, full wages. I think that's correct. Yeah. yeah. Now, whether or not they shut you down for two weeks or not, again, is very, very murky, right? Because when there's been uh, staff members in, in supermarkets that have tested positive, they've only shut the supermarket down for one day. <laughs> uh, so, um, so you don't know. And if you've had two teams, um, this is kind of why I like the two teams thing. If you've had two separate teams and they've been isolated from each other for a well, to some degree, it's possible that maybe they won't close you down for as long. I don't know. Um, but um, but uh, a lot of our clients are actually operating on uh, as two teams. Yeah, that, that is a very murky question. I, I saw a comment again yesterday where, because we've, we've got it as well, we've separated teams. And then somebody said, oh, they've heard from somebody working in the health department, not verified information, um, but if if you have it at the moment, especially in the early stages of the shutdown, they're going to say, yeah, the premises is contaminated. So theoretically, all of you could be contaminated. So forget your split teams, you're all out. But uh, I, I don't know, I'd love to, I'd love to find out where you could confirm or, or figure out what would actually happen in the in the in the case of a positive in your clinic. 
No, we haven't had we, we haven't had any positives in clinics, and I think we we're not going to know until it happens because um, the the, the legislature it's just not clear. Like it's not clear, and obviously this falls out of the accounting realm. It's more of a, an epidemiological thing, right? I am a vet, but like, what do we know? Well, my, my normal theory is I think most of the infections are coming from the feeding trough because when I was a veterinary student and and used to do this stuff in feedlot cattle, right? They always used to get it at the feeding trough. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to watch anywhere where there's food. That's my theory. <laughs> it, it's a good point that you raised, Hubert, because I know like part of the resistance that that um, we received when we discussed splitting into two teams and um, potentially then some members being disadvantaged or having to reduce hours, etc. Just as Gerardo mentioned, just to be able to enable that sort of rostering to take place, um, a lot of people still felt like, "Hey, I've taken a cut," but at the end of the day, there's still no proof that if team A does get an infection that team B will be able to continue because you know how big is the gap does it need to be a two-day rotation a two-week rotation um, and then even if it's two weeks if somebody gets infected in the last two days of that rotation you know and the next team is on two days later I mean what what happens and, and you can't really sterilize your whole environment um, you know as, as fastidious as you can be with cleaning it's almost impossible um, to keep it clean. And I think that's why a lot of vet clinics have resorted to, you know, the sort of barrier method of, um, you know, client interaction where they're not even allowing clients into the, the building in order to, you know, minimize the potential um, infection that's being introduced to the clinic. But um, it's, it's a tough one. Like I said, it's a gray area. Nobody really knows yet. I can tell you what I've seen and what seems to be working and some obviously because Anne and I are dealing with a lot of questions around this. So first and foremost, um, I think the biggest impact to the business is we are seeing there are some team members and it depends on the mix of your team. It might be half of your team. It might only be 10% of your team. It varies from practice to practice. But you get that con component in your team that are, 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 are great employees. But when this sort of thing happens, they completely melt down. Okay, They freak out to the nth degree completely freaked out, 100% freaked out to the point that they really, really can't work. Now, if you have a big mix of those people in your practice, um, I think, you know, when you start looking at splitting your teams and things, you've got to try and do whatever your team is comfortable working with. Because what's happening here is what you're actually trying to manage, in my opinion, when you're splitting teams, is the fear in your team, not actually the spread of coronavirus. If they, if they really strongly feel that it will reduce their, if these very, very freaked out people uh, strongly feel that it will reduce their risk of getting coronavirus by working in two teams, and you've got quite a few of them, then you will have to work as two teams. If on the other hand, you have a bunch, and we have practices like this that have said, you know what, um, you know, um, with the new sort of measures that are being put in place now with isolation, you know, only two people to go out, people not allowed to visit a household, all that stuff's been introduced this week. They've said, you know what, our obligation as team members is to look after ourselves. And if we agree as a team that we're not going to go out and do something stupid, we're just going to stay at home all day. We're not going to go and eat uh, from the dodgy takeaway place up the road. You know, we're just going to get our greens delivered at the door from the green grocer. And we're going to make really, really sure 
and make every effort that we as team members don't get infected, then our risk is minimal because we're not going to let clients in through the door. I think that's a good idea. Uh, from a health and safety perspective, people are putting a table in front of the entrance of the, uh, of the practice. The client delivers the dog on the other side of the table. They switch lead. The dog walks under the table. The vet does a consultation in the consulting room. If you want to be really, really funky, you use Zoom. So the client goes back and sits outside or in the car and you communicate with the client via Zoom and they can still see what you're doing to the dog. And then the client receives their pet under the table at the front door of the practice again. And the people waiting, wait in their cars with their dogs and cats instead of in the waiting area. Um, the practice actually works quite efficiently. Um, so really, it's, uh, to me, it's, it's more about managing the freaked outness of your team um, and what they're happy with. Because if you try and put people who are completely freaked out and they want a split team and you try and make them work the other way, it's not going to work. Like at this point in time, um, your team has the power. They have the power to flex their hours and they have the power over you as to how they want to manage their, their health and safety. And really, the decision is like you can guide it, but the decision to me is up to them. That's kind of how we're playing it. And we're seeing both scenarios work quite well. So. <laughs> Shifting gears to the future, Paolo. Um, obviously, we've been talking a lot about damage control and, and you know, bailouts if we drop and having to shut down, etc. What advice could you give us in terms of trying to future-proof for the next? Because if you, if you almost look at the next phase where, okay, yes, there's going to be this amount of money that's dumped on everyone and, and alcohol sales have gone up and all these other sales have gone up because everyone's got this free money floating around and certainly veterinary revenue has gone up as well because people are sitting at home noticing stuff on their pets and now having some extra money to actually do something about it with and they're looking for an excuse to go out and there's only a number of essential services that you can actually go out for and some of the vets have now become a popular destination. Um, however, this is gonna dry up as well. And this is only gonna last, you know, X amount of time before people start to really start more, you know, trying to make those same dollars stretch further. And uh, have you got any advice for us from an accounting angle in terms of managing expenses or, or even in terms of revenue and how we need to shift our focus as to how we attract that revenue into our businesses when clients are, you know, putting the brakes on or hanging onto their wallets a bit more tightly? Um, well, first of all, I think um, I think veterinary services are pretty recession-proof in terms of um, um, like when I owned a practice in the UK, we were in a middle to low income area, and we actually found and we actually find this with our clients: the income area you're in with your veterinary practice actually doesn't determine how much your clients spend at the practice. Um, you can always get a mix of high-value good clients in any particular area and offer high-value services. Um, but the re reality of this matter is um, the high net profit practices that are running at 20% plus net profit margin are in a much better position to survive this than someone who has a marginal net profit margin of like 7%. And you can see already because you're going to be in that dead zone for a lot longer if that happens. Um, so that from an accounting perspective, all you can do is run your practice at as high net profit margin as possible. And where vets have historically said, oh, maybe we've, we've, we're greedy and et cetera, and have always been very, very sort of money um, almost felt guilty about um, running businesses at high net profit margins. You know, this is really, really a good, good example of um, you can still be a fantastic practice. You can still love the patients you treat, but the critical necessity uh, that for that business to be that amazing business that it is, it has to operate at a high net profit margin. Um, and to do that, um, there's a whole lot of things you can do. Um, you know, it, a lot of its revenue focus is about uh, promoting high value services. It's about billing correctly, um, you know, and no misbilling and being comfortable with the prices and fees you charge. Um, just so that that wonderful service that you offer um, carries on to exist, you know, because where would pets be if vets weren't there? 
So, um, so from our perspective, you know, it's all about um, having that really, really efficient business. And there's this hundreds of thousands of ways you can do that. The sad reality is that APL accounts, we probably work with about 10 to 15% of the veterinary practices in Australia who are really excited about doing that stuff. And the reality is, you know, 60% of business owners, not only vet, but all business owners are just happy leaving their business as it is and too uncomfortable to try and implement any change. Um, but going forwards, this is going to happen again. By all means, in our lifetime, it's not going to be the only viral scare we have going forwards. Um, next time, there might not be a government bailout because there might not be money to do it. Um, and I would certainly be looking at the efficiency of the business um, and also kind of some ability in, in there with the team members that you employ going forwards the reality uh, I would put forward to them going forwards, because we are going to have this again, I've no doubt about it, um, is the, the possibility of having to flex hours if another crisis happens. Because that's a key component. It's going to be critical. If there was no government bailout, that would, would before the, 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 um, the um, JobKeepers bailout came out, that was the only port of call we had to offer our clients, was you have to either get your, hours, your, your team to flex their hours, or you're going to have to start paying redundancies. Um, so that's the reality that's going to be in any business, not just veterinary business. But I'm hoping that veterinary businesses do better than everyone else uh, because um, you just have to be better than the next guy, right? <laughs> to survive in a bad economy. So, uh, so we're hoping veterinary businesses will be better. That was really powerful. That was great. Okay. Thank you so much for sharing all that information. And um, I learned so much just from listening just then. And <laughs> we have every day about this stuff. So, <laughs> Paolo, thank you so much, so much for your time. It's been fantastic, fantastic to meet you guys. Paolo, where, where could people go? Where could vets and veterinarians and business owners and so forth go to get up-to-date information? Is there information on your, on your Facebook page or website where you will post frequently for them to keep, up, keep update on? Correct. Um, so um, the only way we could keep people up to date quickly enough was through Facebook. So on the front page of our website actually links to our, our public Facebook group and our clients only Facebook group. Uh, so you can go to our website and then just click the link to go to our Facebook, uh, Facebook business page, or you can find APL accountants on Facebook business pages. And we are posting stuff there all the time, even the documentation that we get stuff that we're allowed to post on a public forum, we put on the public one. And there's some stuff we can't. So we put that in the in, in a closed group. Um, but people can also email us through the website. Um, a lot of the stuff we put in the private group is only because legally it can't really be put out to the world at large. But if an individual veterinary practice gets says, please help us with this, have you got this? We'll just send it to them. That's fine. And what is your website, Paolo? Um, aplaccountants.com.au. So that's Alpha Papa Lima, aplaccountants.com.au. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a lovely day. All right, guys. Lovely chatting to you. Hey.